0: I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co hosts So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Today, we believe in truth, beauty, freedom, and above all things, film. We're going back, 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 back. To the turn of the century, as we watch a film depicting the other turn of the century, doing the can-can and singing Nirvana, as we take a trip to the Moulin Rouge this
1: week on Zach on Film.
2: Avec fromage.
1: Yes, uh, Moulin Rouge. Rouge. So, uh, first of all, a little housekeeping, Zach. Yes. So last week we recorded a uh, an episode of Zach on Film, singing in the rain, right? And we had a wonderful discussion. Yes. It probably would have won us an award for the yeah, in-depth discussion we did on funny. singing in the red. Steven probably. was thoughtful. Um, Zach
2: got a B plus at,
1: at some point during our recording, the system crashed and I opened it back up. And usually this application is really good about just popping back up, open everything. In Scribing. fact, Rodrigo was sitting here with me yeah. uh, after everybody left. And I was moving things into their different, into their different locations where they're supposed to be to create the individual shows. And I just copied and pasted all the Zach on film stuff into the Zach on film file, saved it, moved on, Finished editing shows, uploading shows. Then I come, comes to Friday, mm-hmm. getting ready to upload "Singing in the Rain," and the files are just gone, poof, in the night, Sad. like the Green Fairy. Yes. And uh, so we're not going to go back and re-record "Singing in the Rain" because the I think personally, as a producer, and maybe Zach, you're going to learn something different about this. I think there's something special about capturing that raw performance the first time, right? and when you try and go back and recreate that ad lib discussion again not yeah. something that's scripted it's very hard to do and it doesn't have the same energy and for people that when we've had to go back and re-record discussions before when we right. didn't hit record or when we miss something or whatever personally i think maybe rodrigo and matthew you guys are the same way when we've had to deal with this before it's just not the same
3: as a as as a panelist it's certainly weird when you have these immediate ad-lib responses that, you know, you maybe thought about before and then some sort of space phantom erases your hard drive and we have to go back and it's like... When Steven said this, then I said that. And it feels very wooden to just go back and be like, yes, that Mm -hmm. is a great point. Allow me to follow
1: it up with this. (laughs) It
2: feels like we are waiting for our cues in order to speak.
1: So I'm sorry, listeners, but we're not going to go back and do singing in the rain.
2: But However, if we did, I would have been freaking funny.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe not as much the second time. Just because, like... No, Rodrigo I would have been funnier it. the
2: second time. Yeah, Matthew
1: Matthew is like, kind of Matthew
3: his, is
2: like uh, soup.
1: Jokes. Like, if you reheat soup sitting around yes. too long, it just... Yeah, okay.
2: And the best part is so, I'd be making in-jokes about the episode that was erased that you guys would get and laugh at and everyone else would think mm-hmm. I was just being a douche.
1: So, on the one hand... Sing in the Rain. It was a good episode. Zach learned a lot, and he did pass.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. I did.
1: But the whole thing that we're looking at is we're talking about the musical as a genre, and we looked at an example from 1950s. And granted, 1950s isn't the beginning of the musical genre, right, right. but I mean that's really steeped into kind of the first peak of the of the genre, mm-hmm. because all throughout the 50s and 60s, yeah, in film, musicals in film. Um, when we hit the 2001 Moulin Rouge. There hadn't been musicals. I mean, this is kind of the. I mean, the, there hadn't been a musical in ten years. The last time that there was a musical on film was Beauty and the Beast, right? As a musical, so we're looking something. And I'm trying to think recently if there's been anything that's a true musical.
3: Well, I mean, you can you can count every Disney movie, yes. up until then. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, technically they're all musicals. Yeah, yeah but sure. Cer- certainly a live action musical. It I'm, had I'm been trying forever. to think of anything like freaking Mary Poppins or
1: something. Well, crazy I mean, we like had Lay Mis. Les Mis uh, came out just this last year. That one's mm. a little bit different in, I don't know, yeah, I think that's more of a traditional though. story. This one is totally bonkers. Agreed. I remember mm-hmm. um, I was living in South California. Park
3: came out in, ni- wait, no. No, no, it came out before 99. Yeah, 99 South Park, so, bigger, yeah. longer, and uncut. So between Beauty and the Beast and Moulin Rouge, you have yeah. uh, South, South Park. Park. Which won an Academy Award. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw this. Uh, it's it a blind date. I was going to go down and meet a girl. <laughs> and we were down at the Irvine Spectrum. And it's like... Close to midnight. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, how about a movie? And she's like, okay. And I said, the only thing that was available at the time was Moulin Rouge. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about this. Let's go in and watch it. And we got in it and the theater was packed for whatever reason. Mm. I think because it had gotten so much press. Right. And it, we sat down and we got in there just a little bit late. We missed the first opening curtain. Oh. But we sat down. And I just rolled with laughter, Mm -hmm. tears, Mm -hmm. and just the blend of this music that goes in here. Zach, give us a rundown of this story real quick.
0: Yeah, okay, so the rundown of this story is Christian is a writer, and he is off to pursue the bohemian lifestyle, and he moves to Paris, and he's going to- Against his father's wishes. Against against his father's wishes, and he is going to be a penniless writer and uh, pen the next great- Whatever he was gonna <laughs> pin, ends up meeting some people upstairs who are rehearsing this play called Spectacular, Spectacular. And ends Suddenly, up being the
2: unconscious Argentinian crawling yes. through the ceiling,
0: and he gets cast in their in their musical, and then ends up uh, becoming the writer because they need to pitch it to uh, the owners Ziegler, uh, Ziegler at uh, the Moulin Rouge, and uh, I mean, so then he uh, he ends up. Meeting uh, Satine, who is the head dancer at the Moulin Rouge, and trying to pitch it to her and their idea, and then mixed up. He's some mistaken identity. Mistaken happens. identity happens. He's yeah. she thinks he's a duke. He's a, he's not. Right. He's a writer. And then uh, the love triangle of Satine, the duke, and Christian continue on uh, in hidden fashions throughout this. While a production of Uh, spectacular spectacular is taking place all ending in a climactic scene
1: of uh, laughter and truth love yes
0: oh my god just wonderfulness
1: yeah uh has that so this is a this is kind of a rare film because it's comedy that has a tragic end yes um in what happens to Satine, and spoiler she dies i
2: would say it's not really a spoiler because like the first one nature
1: yeah, yeah. That's my first line. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it, it really is a comedy with a tragic ending. It's a, mm-hmm. it, it, That's how that's how it's pitched. And what I found amazing, and this kind of sets the tone for this, was that this movie actually came about when um, Baz Lerman and his wife were in India yeah. doing some kind of trip. And they're like, well, we got nothing to do. Let's go see a movie. And they go in and they watch a Bollywood right. movie. And I got to tell you, I haven't watched... I mean, you see clips and all the dancing and the weirdness that goes on. Um, But iTunes now has a Bollywood section. Really? And I'm going to start watching Uh some Bollywood movies. Oh, yes. Uh, Because, as Lerman recounts it, we sat there and it was laughter and comedy. And then someone died. And then all of a sudden they broke out into this big happy song. Right. Mm. And and then he and his wife were like, we need to bring back a musical. We need to bring back the musical. Right. And do the same right. thing. Make it a comedy that has a tragic ending. And that's kind of how Moulin Rouge kind of got its start is mm-hmm. through a Bollywood picture. And now knowing that, you kind of look back at this film and you're like, oh yeah, from what I know about Bollywood films, this is a oh, absolutely. Bollywood film. Have you mm-hmm. watch some Bollywood yeah. stuff? yeah. What do you, what can you t- share with Zach about Bollywood pictures? Uh, the thing about
3: that Sort of movie is that there is a very strong and clear formula. Um, You know, you have um, a certain amount of musical numbers that need to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, have you ever seen Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. Like, so, Slumdog Millionaire is done in conjunction with Indian studios and stuff. There's no singing or dancing in it, right. but then, like at the end, all of the actors right. break into this. It's like they were like holding it back <laughs> because yeah. it needs to happen. Drama, mm-hmm. action movies—they all have all these crazy, super lavish musical numbers. Like you're, you're at like if if you were shooting, I don't know, Along Came Polly. Yeah, yeah, you know, then. Ben Stiller and was Jennifer Aniston. I don't know. Yes, yes. Um, there would have been several musical numbers in that movie because that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. There are musical. It's like a Disney movie, right? right. Regardless of what it's about, yeah, but, there's going but to be singing the, and dancing. Here's
1: kind of the thing in a Disney movie, the right. music comes naturally out of the story, right? And and like this movie, the music comes naturally out of the story. Well, From in what some, I've seen in a,
3: some Bollywood movies, it but, does. The, the problem is the formula, right? right. Sometimes. There is no place right, right. where that would fit. So Definitely to, to an American audience. Yeah. yeah, to an American audience. You're watching this. And I'm, I mean, I would argue that that's the case with a lot of musicals in mm-hmm. general, not just mm-hmm. Bollywood. It's like I'm watching South Pacific and people are breaking into song and I'm like, why?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there are, as I'm, as I'm re-watching Moulin Rouge again for the, who knows, 200th time, mm-hmm. I noticed that there are a lot of similarities between Singing in the Rain and Moulin Rouge. Can you find mm-hmm. what those are? Do you know what those are? Some similarities between the two Uh, films? The one
0: that I can kind of think of, and it might just be loose, is that they're looking back at a time of a big transition period.
1: Yes. So you got that right. And again, and this is also, we talked about, here's the 50s giving their take on the 30s, but it still had a very 50s feel to it. Here we're looking back at the 1899, 18, or I'm sorry, 1889, 1890. And we're seeing that exact same thing, the 2001 look at that. Um, So that's one. What else? That's all I could come up with. All of the music in Moulin Rouge had been previously released Mm -hmm. as as songs, just like in Singing in the Rain. Okay, yeah. And anyone else want to help Zach out on another third similarity between the two? There's Uh, music? Well... Not only is there music, it's, it's, but there is very little yeah. long dialogue exchanges. It is oh. short dialogue, boom, big musical number, mm-hmm. short dialogue, big musical number. So there is that formula mm-hmm. that Rodrigo mm-hmm. was talking about. So there's at least, yeah. and there's probably a few more similarities that you can find between how the two are structured together.
0: I definitely did notice uh, the pacing of uh, songs and structuring them to be uh, certain like increments apart in this, more than singing in the rain, because I was actually like looking for like how often are songs popping up and it's pretty often.
1: Why use modern music? Why use Madonna's like a virgin? Why use, uh, lady Marmalade? Mm-hmm. Why use, uh, Roxanne in this piece? Do you know why can you put together? And I know, and this is another thing that it's good that Zach is doing this. Cause this is what we wanted to do <laughs> is to go and research the movie right, after right, he's right. watched it. So he may know the answer to this already.
0: Um, but he doesn't. Well, okay. Well, okay. I okay. I looked at. Is it part of the the way he came up with the story?
1: To an extent,
0: because he's um, he said he drew a lot of the the inspiration from Orpheus
1: in the Greek. No, that's not uh, in the in the case of what you're talking about. The story structure.
0: Well, I'm talking about uh, how they pulled uh, Orpheus, well. and they said he was like a musical genius and stuff, oh, right. and, and okay, so yes, then yes, Christian, yes, yes, yes. Uh, he's. He's like, uh, yes. So like when we super, pull. he understands music so well, he knows where it's going. He's like pulling some of these songs from there, literally from
1: that's our, beyond him.
0: They're literally beyond a time period, they can even be right, exactly. Right. And that's and that's okay. what,
1: and that's why, Matthew, in the in the scene that you like when the um, unconscious Argentinian falls through the floor, where he's standing up on top of this mountain mm-hmm. and they're oh. arguing over what he should say, and he's trying to get it out. And suddenly he says, The hills are alive with the sound of music, and everyone is just like. This stuff. is something that we have Pole-axed. never heard before, mm-hmm. yep. and that is the first musical bit that you hear in the movie. So, I mean, except for the intro music, the intro music, right. but I mean, the, as far as the a, overture, as far as the musical numbers, that's the first reference that we mm-hmm. get, and it is from a 1964 song. Right. That most people would just probably kind of blow off as not the greatest thing, but if you were in 1889 mm-hmm. or whenever this story takes place. I think it's 1889. 1899. 1899. 1899. This would be, what is this thing? It's kind of mm-hmm. like what I was talking about in another podcast. These aliens come down from another planet and they've never heard music <laughs> before. And suddenly they hear music mm-hmm. and it's the most wonderful thing that they've ever heard. Right. And because he does that, it does set Christian apart from how do we present this mm-hmm. information. And I think that's really kind of important to look here. Now, I don't know if they were thinking that same thing in the, in 1952 with Singing in the Rain but it you know there may be some parallels there as well
3: now real quick i hadn't I hadn't heard that thing. you said that they based this movie on the story of orpheus no the oh character of the, christian.
0: Ba- the character of christian just is
3: is uh insight into music i see are you aware that um the like the cancan song like, da, 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 it comes from Orpheus in the underworld? Like that's the the name of the piece. Oh no! That was not
1: an error. That was actually intentional. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the other thing. Did you do any studying about? the turn of the century, 1899 and the 1900s and what was going on. Did you intentionally do any research into the Moulin Rouge and the real character of Ziegler?
0: I did a little bit of reading on the actual Moulin Rouge because I didn't actually know it was a real place until I started looking into it.
1: Okay, and so what did you discover?
0: Uh, That it was a big... (laughs) That it was a real place. It was like a real place in Paris and they did productions of different stuff there and... And that it was a brothel,
1: right? Right, Mm -hmm. and then like... You gotta and see then, the women's underpants.
0: Right, and it, I they said that the underskirts that they actually wore in the Moulin Rouge were different, they were like slit up, yeah, the, middle, up the middle. So, and yeah, they And they decided, like, maybe we shouldn't do that so yeah, can the actually, they sure. can actually put that in PG-13. So... Um, and then they, I read how they, like, after the war, other countries started, like, making their own and popping up, and they were, like, mm-hmm. more deviant than, like, the original.
1: So here's the thing. Put yourself as a young lad, like yourself... <laughs> Uh, Living in uh, 1890s. I'll try. You're you're living in a pretty uh, straight household. And suddenly you are now exposed to this craziness. You're now exposed to major spoilers. (laughs) Right, right, right. And this crazy world that we have. How does your mind, I mean, can you, I mean, uh, we've seen these uh, can-can dancers, old movies and stuff of can-can dancers. And today we look at that and we're just like.
2: That's it pretty te- it tame. seems tame right? tame right yeah, but and, then just again, like, and
1: just like just like what when when I go off on kids have never seen Citizen Kane, and mm-hmm. they say it's boring and we've had that long discussion, right, right, right. when we look at the Moulin Rouge at that time period, and if they would have done everything in that style, man, how boring of a movie people would say this is boring, oh right, so what does Basil Leman need to do to present you with? An experience like someone who'd never seen anything like this before in the 1890s would have experienced. Mm-hmm. What would he have? What did Baz Luhrmann have to do?
0: Throw in anything about musical aspect? Just, mean, just everything. So well, I mean, he completely took like our nature of, I mean, really at that time like music videos and the way we were watching TV and threw it into an experience that made it bigger and brighter and yeah. like chaotic. And through the nature, through the music he was using, that we could almost then we could relate to it through the music. And then not just the music, but everything, everything,
1: yeah. everything in this movie is over the top plus 12, right? Yeah, I mean, take <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, take yeah. it as far as you can go over the top and then go 12 more. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ziegler's character, uh, Nicole Kidman's character, um, John Lake was on, every yeah. character oh, in here God. is over the top, the colors. And color plays a big role in this movie. Yeah. Colors are bright and vibrant and in your face, you are doing edits that are frenetic and shorter than what we would typically say in MTV style. I mean, you're seeing snippets of frames throughout whole pieces. And it's just this visual experience that just kind of blows your mind. Much like if you were someone who was in the 1890s going to the Moulin Rouge for the first time. Today, we would say that's tame. Mm -hmm. But I think the experience that Lerman is is trying to get across in this film is similar to what people's minds would have been like at that time period. And that's why it's this crazy editing, this crazy dance numbers of just total craziness that that's what makes this film work from that perspective. Because I was watching this again just the other night and I'm sitting there going, I have watched this a dozen times and I'm still blown away by the editing in this movie. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, what what are your thoughts, Matthew, on the on the edit? I mean, just I, thoughts I overall are just the editing of this piece, especially okay, in that well, first time he goes to the Moulin Rouge. Oh
2: man, it's
1: just like like a rapid fire machine gun.
2: I love the opening, and I think it's undercranked film or something, and the the really weird kind of jerky motion that we see as we're first going through in the black and white. Sure. And then everything just kind of goes kablam in your face. Mm-hmm. I, I, I admit it, I am secretly in I think in my heart and soul a teenage girl. And I love <laughs> well, you love certainly play this one on the movie. internet. So uh, love this never been a teenager. Love this movie to death. And visually speaking, there's always something that you didn't notice before. But what I what I really love is the fact that there's a sequence that first they're first meeting the Duke and they're trying to sell him on spectacular, spectacular. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicole Kidman is in this super sexy little lingerie outfit. I like speaking French, but she's not afraid to look like an idiot and be goofy. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With the you know, other actors,
1: that's that's the one thing that I was going to say is in that in that number that they do in the uh, in the elephant with for the in Duke. The elephant, yeah as they're going insane crazy. I don't know if you guys watched their faces. Yes. And there's one other number too, but it genuinely looks like they are having fun I mean, Yes. being fun, in this being in this number. I mean just I mean yes, I can smile and convey happiness, but you can tell when people are just doing a, a movie smile and a real smile. They look like they're enjoying themselves throughout this entire yeah. piece. Yeah,
0: that spectacular spectacular thing and they're talking about going secret. on for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, it is wonderfully fun. Uh,
0: really I sing along there every time I watch it. <laughs> what what really
2: th- sells it is the the build up to it with Jim Broadbent doing his returns are fixed at six percent, yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden, boom, out of a can, and all of a sudden, it's just crazy, crazy banana pants time for a good five minutes of film.
1: I mean, it's a. Did you get the sense that people are actually having fun doing this? Oh yeah absolutely
3: it, it really seemed like they were like okay there's no real script for this nicole kidman your job is to prevent this guy from looking over there right, mm-hmm. right and that's right, right. why she's just like making all these crazy noises yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's like it really like it gives you that that raw kind of feeling mm-hmm. um it's like if it was scripted then yes she would be clever and poised and would be doing all those things right, right, but right, instead right. she just kind of grabs her gown yeah, and starts, gown and starts like, yes. flipping <laughs> it around going <laughs> Is like what is she doing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the guy looks totally
1: confused. Yeah, yeah. and rightly so. And right. one in the audience, and um, so yeah. I mean, we are being thrown so much visually and orally and mentally because we are messing with emotions left and right mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, that this kind of just smashes everything together and presents a different way that a musical can take place. I would bet if you compared this to Les Mis. <laughs> that you're not that Les Mis not may not be as a good a movie as Mulan Rouge. That's I don't know.
3: Pow! That's a gauntlet. It is. It, I mean, yeah, it really yeah. is.
1: And because and this, this is the other thing, Mulan Rouge, since its release, has been a love it or hate it movie. There mm-hmm. haven't been people mm-hmm. that yeah. are just like, eh, it's okay. It's right. either people are just over the top on this, going, this is the best movie, or people are saying this is the worst movie. Mm-hmm. But when yeah, we look at best. You think so Matthew? Do you think it's better than the than Les Mis? I don't know if you've seen that one yet.
2: Uh, I I haven't seen it. I read it once.
1: Rodrigo? Um, well, I I have not seen it. You've seen it Zach. Yeah, you've, I've seen it. What do you think? Am I am I talking out my butt here or not?
0: Cuz the two no, films are I very think, different in I how I think Oh man, I really need to watch Les Mis again. I don't. I enjoyed it. Um, it's a good it's a good film. But I, I guess it's a, a test to it. It was like I watched Moulin Rouge for the first time in a class at university and I watched it again three days later. Like I got my hand with my girlfriend. We were watching this movie and like Les Mis has been out for a while. I was like, I haven't watched it again. So I mean from that, from that personal aspect, yeah, Moulin Rouge is better than Les Mis. It, and I think especially from like a technical aspect and I think, and, and how to, in doing a musical on film, I think, Uh, Le Miz tried a lot. I think they tried to do a really like Mm filmy musical Mm -hmm. with like their shot selection, but like Moulin Rouge and Baz Luhrmann took how you can do a musical on film Mm -hmm. and did it like they don't know, they did something way beyond people will probably do it. Well, and I
1: think that comes from technique because if you look at traditional musicals, even comparing it to Singing in the Rain, you've got these big, broad, wide shots and sweeping Mm -hmm. shots and cranes and pans and all this stuff like you would see in Les Mis. Right. Um, or like you'd see in Beauty and the Beast and very much like what South Park replicated making fun of all the music. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but here you have stuff that One of which is not, Right. They're not afraid to show a close-up and cut to a second later or even a half second later, a shoe and then to someone else laughing. And then all these people just doing mm-hmm. crazy stuff right. and just assaulting just you with wackiness or craziness or stuff right. that might've been considered bohemian right. Uh, right. in in the 1800s. From the storytelling perspective, Matthew, why does this story work? Educate Zach on why this story works and, and why you sit there after you watch it and are crying over the, over the ending.
2: Oh God. Well, I'm like, she dies. Amazing, bro. Right. Here's the, here's the, it's one of those stories that I think hits on a very basic archetypical level. And it plays to literally half a dozen different pop culture levels that we all know of. It plays to things that everybody knows. But I think when you break it all down, it's that archetypical doomed love affair. It's that, oh my God, this is so beautiful. I totally wish that I had a girl like uh, Christian. No. Totally wish I had a girl like Eyes Wide Shut, whatever her name is. And you get to the end and there's this horrible thing that happens, but it's kind of perfect in that their perfect love shall live forever, though it was only three days long. Or, you know, whatever it was. It is, it's almost instinctual. And I think that's part of the reason why people love or hate it. Either that resonates with you or it doesn't. And there's nothing wrong with not loving this movie. I mean, the universe needs enemies of joy <laughs> the same way it does people who are, you know, people who have souls. So, what was I saying? What what makes the story work?
1: <laughs> why does it why does it pull on those emotional heartstrings, Rodrigo? Uh
3: so the movie employs a handful of you know well-worn Uh, things tropes tropes. the star-crossed lovers of Mm -hmm. course as as matthew pointed out are is something that will automatically get the audience in there you know that'll push some buttons yep um the you know the the bohemian ideals you know beauty truth love freedom freedom, right those are things that appeal not just to people in general but greatly appeal to americans so if you're presenting this movie to an American audience, everybody's like, "Yeah, freedom and truth and love, <laughs> awesome!" Yeah, 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 right. I mean, those are those are like, except for the love part, those are like the the tenets of like American culture, right? Anybody right. shouts that out anywhere, everybody starts chanting USA. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <Yeah. laughs> um, Oddly enough, people didn't do that in the theater when I saw that. So. Well,
3: that's because they had to chant Vive la France. <laughs> <laughs> is, there's not very much about this that's French, honestly. No, no, no. Um, they should be sense. speaking. No, French.
1: no. Um, the only one who tries a French accent is uh John Leguizamo, who does an outrageous French accent,
3: and it's and it's mostly just kind of like a
2: Sylvester the Cat accent. <laughs> yeah, it <is>. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's, it's a it's a very thick French accent with a little bit of a lift in it, right? Plus, it's Leguizamo. I mean, and he's honestly. a giant ham. Yes, yes. Even he if is, he's
3: playing, even if he's playing a short person, he's an enormous ham. Yes. He
2: is. He is one of the greatest theatrical actors and I will say this of the last two decades simply because he commits to this role that could be very cloying, very awful, very ridiculous but he commits to it in such a way that you're just you you forget that it's you know Chichi Rodriguez but you can't forget because every once in a while he throws in a little John Leguizamo and you're just like oh yeah I remember him from the past
3: last and I think the the most important thing that this movie does as a storytelling device is the play within a play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It creates this play inside of the Moulin Rouge movie, and it's not just something like the play within a play in Hamlet where it's like, this is what happened! Right. Right? This play is literally a device in the movie, and people realize, like, when you first encounter the play when they're pitching it, it's like the opening scene of that play is stuff that's already happened Mm -hmm. up until that point and then when they describe it they describe the rest of the movie Right, and then it becomes this game of who controls the play when the Duke realizes what's going on he tries to change the ending of the play to literally Mm -hmm. change Change. the ending of real life Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. the movie right Right. so it becomes it becomes this thing of whoever controls the play whoever decides the ending of the play wins Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And then, of course, what nobody realizes, including Satine herself, right. is that nobody controls anything. Right. Because even though you want this to have the happiest ending possible. Right. It's going to end up tragically. She right.
2: got the consumption. Yeah. The the Duke actually says in that very first scene, when they're talking about putting on the play and trying to convince him, he's like, should someone die And the end? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. He totally calls it. Yep. And it. That was another thing. I had a friend who was very upset because he went to see this movie and he got the end and Satine died and he was mad. And he's like, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, dude, the first line of the movie is the woman I love is dead. He's like, I forgot that. I'm like – and the Duke clearly says when they're pitching the play that is this story, someone dies at the end. I mean they tell us what is about to happen for the next hour and a half in that early scene.
1: But the thing is – and this is why I think the story is well told – even though it's a flashback and foretell mm-hmm. and and foreshadowing at yeah. the same time, you're so drawn into this that yep, you by the time the matter. TB really gets to her, you're yes. like, oh no, don't let
3: her
0: die! Oh, I forgot about
3: this. No, wait, <laughs> right? In I've it, changed my right. mind.
0: And, it, it, and they and also there's that point at the end where you don't know if it's going to be her diseases killer or the Duke like running down the aisle with a gun? Right, like, right, right, like, right, right, right. I went right. it my way. He's yelling like.
2: And then, of course, he, he, we get yeah. that wonderful moment where, where Zidler finally redeems himself and proves that he is about more than just money and, mm-hmm. and his theater. But and the gun uh, flies, flies me,
0: all the way across from Nudon Rouge and hits the Eiffel and Tower.
2: The, Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yep. the, th- the thing that's really great about the building of the play is as they're building the play, what happens in the play and the songs that they sing, aren't necessarily what is what's the word rodrigo i can't remember remember the word within where you're where you're singing within the film diegetic diegetic thank you it's not entirely diegetic but as they're building their play they're doing it around the events in the their real world right so when when the duke you know insists that his ending be changed they're like well we'll put a special song in so the lovers know whenever they're separated, that they're still in love. That song is actually the song that Christian and Satine use. Right. Right. To so communicate with each other.
1: Uh, uh, one of the big differences between singing in the rain and Moulin Rouge and a lot of musicals is, um, there's not a natural flow into the song. Singing in the rain is just like, Hey, it's time for a song. Let's sing it in the rain. Sing in the rain. Right. So, but when we get into Moulin Rouge, the songs just come naturally out of the conversation. Like the elephant, um, was it the elephant the, the elephant the, medley the elephant medley and it's the elephant room medley or something like that one of the most wonderful pieces in the film one of the most that that draws the most from so many different songs mm-hmm. comes from within the film and it is two characters talking to one another which leads to the music uh, and I think that's what really helps the music in this piece. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to music in a moment uh some of the we love hearing comments from people who listen to this show and uh, want to express thoughts and ideas and whatnot uh, a couple of comments that people have made is. You guys are throwing out terms that I don't know what they mean.
3: Right. Can right, you please right.
1: explain them? So the first one is the word that we threw out, diegetic. Diegetic is sound that or music that comes from within Well, sound the in general. Sound I mean, in general. You can't
3: have non-diegetic yeah, sound non-die- effects. Di- non-diegetic. Which you do technically – In Moulin Rouge, I mean, there are kind of sound effects, and those are non-diegetic.
1: Right, right. Yeah, all the sound effects, anytime that that's going on. But the diegetic means sound from within.
3: Right. So if I turn on a radio, if the movie, a character turns on the radio and you hear music coming out of that radio, that's diegetic sound.
1: If a character is running down the street and suddenly the uh, tiger's on. Right. That's
3: non-diegetic music.
1: The other term that we've used many times is um chewing up the scenery, which every character in this movie does yes. is chewing the scenery, <laughs> and people yes. don't know what the what that term means, so Matthew, fill everyone in on the term chewing the scenery <laughs> <Something> <laughs> why, why
2: is it got to be me? I think what you, are, you, what are you, you probably you're, you're you probably the, you're lot, you're use the one that brings most it off yeah
1: you bring it up the most. Well,
2: okay. I, I thought you were maybe saying uh, that. when I refer to. Oh chewing, no, that
1: would be chewing,
2: uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> chewing the scenery is a specific reference to overacting. Uh When I was uh, growing up in the theater, we called it mugging, or in the worst cases, upstaging. But basically, when you could go in and you could say, you know, for instance, Zidler, everything that Jim Broadbent says as Zidler comes through this voice. Yeah. So he could come in and he could say something like, oh, well, the but instead he chooses to speak in this manner.
1: Well, but I mean, everybody's like that. Mm-hmm. You look at right. um,
2: the exaggeration that the ham. right. Right. Well,
1: even even. Right. The Duke and and, is and is we the have same way and oh, we
2: yes. have
3: used the word ham before. And that's also that the Basically. same thing mm-hmm. yeah, when you when you hamming. put yes when you put more grandiose over the top yes mm-hmm. when you are more over the top than you need to be necessarily right. you're being a ham now this movie the directing that necessitates that from the actors that all, like, of, the hamming, all of the hamming all of the yes combat. it is it's absolutely 100 percent who is the craziest or or rather everybody gets a chance mm-hmm.
1: to ham yes. it up now, I know, Zach, that we've talked about diegetic and non-diegetic sound in, in a class before, yeah. but if there are other terms that we bring up that you're not familiar with, please signal us so we can break into our definition portion of the show. Yes, I will, oh, I speaking I will, of, be, I will be certain
0: to I do that. I have the definition,
1: please? Speaking of, let's uh, give a shout-out to some people who made some uh, contributions to the Major Spoilers cause.
0: Yes, I would love to. Apologies in advance, because I'm already looking at this list, and so I'm going to ho-
1: butcher your names.
0: Uh, thank you dude, Joshua Kahi. Uh
2: I don't on Lush- the second person. Lushlands. I
1: think this is the the account there was no name on this but it's L S C H L U N S yeah, all one thing
2: Lushlin, so which is actually the German word for outhouse. Thanks don't, man. Don't believe you. Uh awesome. Don Willis,
0: Christopher Parsons, Benjamin Wisher, Eric Anderson, The Mongoon Show, Kevin Hall, <laughs> <Shin> <laughs> Krauss and Joel A Moneri.
2: I think Mon- that's a
0: Maroni. Yeah, you're right. The, the 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 Mongoon Show.
2: <laughs> you sound like Thurston Howell the fifth. <laughs> Love it. it. Love it. Come see the Mongoon show.
1: <laughs> this show wouldn't be made possible without subscriptions from each of them, and we thank them for that. And um and if you want to get your name shouted out or mangled up or whatever, there's more information on how you can become a subscriber over at Majorspoilers.com. boom. boom Tell me how boom. color works in this, Zach. Uh, technical time color time
2: rods and the cones
0: well the essentially about 75% of this movie is blue there's a lot of blue lighting throughout this entirety
1: due to its nighttime sure. nature okay i wouldn't say 75% but i would i would there's say there is a large
0: huge portions of this when that we are talk just about blue. color
1: not just lighting remember color oh, okay. has to be costumes that people are wearing set decoration mood music, or not m- mood music, mood coloring, right. as well as lighting. And you're right, from a lighting, lighting perspective, like a lot of blue. lots of blue. And they discovered that when you shine a blue light on Nicole Kidman's yeah. white skin, it glows. And so they didn't have to do a lot of post-processing right. when she's doing the Diamonds Are the Girl's Best Friend. But from my viewing, yes, blue, so, would, be a, blue would be a primary color that's in this, uh, as well reds, as reds and reds, yellows, 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 that are, yellows. Those would yeah. be your three colors. How does color... How does color work in this movie?
0: Well, I I would say that the they use the a right.
1: lot of reds to push
0: the uh, passion and lust natures. Okay, and tones. What else? That's all I got. Well, there's a big chunk of the
2: movie that is what at the beginning. Yes,
0: let's go.
1: Let's go by colors.
3: So mm-hmm.
2: you've got red and blue. And
1: what is that? What is what is the color red? You already said passion and lust. What else? Uh, Blood. Okay, some blood, but what else? Chaotic dancing. Energy, right?
3: So, energy, life, right? And, and Satine. Satine is red. Her lips are always Mm. red. Her hair is is red. She is the one that wears the most red. So... And when the Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge, moulin, moulin Rouge, moulin moulin is that it's Rouge. most vibrant love, is when Satine's in the center of it, right. right? And she's red, and then everything's red, right? Any time you go to those crazy dance numbers, red is a hugely dominant color. Mm-hmm. So next color, what's what's next up? You said oh, blue, right? right? Sadness mm-hmm. and
1: death. Okay, and reality, <laughs> and reality, right?
3: All of the post-adventure stuff, all of the flashback mm-hmm. stuff is very blue. It's like mm-hmm. blue-grays
1: yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And in addition to that, if you were to kind of measure a saturation curve of this movie, mm-hmm. at the beginning, everything is very desaturated. Black and white, I think, is what Matthew was getting at. Right. Mm-hmm. As he starts getting introduced to the Moulin Rouge, up until the point he drinks the abstinence, absinthe, mm-hmm. and um, Kylie Minogue shows up um you have a fairly natural saturation yeah the yeah. minute she shows up and he is introduced to this world the saturation the intensity of those colors ramps up to a peak until oh, she hell until loose. you get to um the end of the second act basically with like a virgin and then slowly gradually things get darker and less saturated until she dies And then you've got the aftermath where everything is just basically back to a natural Mm -hmm. saturation or when he's looking out at the closed Moulin Rouge, dark grays and blues and blah. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of important. Color plays a huge role in how people interpret what's going on. If it's blue, it's cold, Mm -hmm. lifeless, dark, red, life, energy, frenetic, movement. Green. Life.
0: Mm-mm. No. Not in this movie. Not in this no, movie. Oh. NV, Money. Envy and jealousy. Nope. In this movie.
3: Oh, so know. you no, have I'm just think guessing. about it. You have blue light and blue light is common and you have red light and right. red light is common in entertainment. You don't usually have green lighting. Mm-hmm. Things a green cast isn't usually on people. It makes you look sickly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it makes you look weird and that's why there's the green fairy scene. That's what green mm-hmm. represents in the movie. Is the weird. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that it's because gateway yep it's that it's that path is like when he takes the absent that opens up the world right it's what the bohemians have that nobody else has right it's that bright greenness Mm -hmm. that pathway into their world is green
1: makes sense yeah
0: that's cool okay
3: um I'd say most other colors are pretty muted. Yeah, but after, for the most or,
1: part, or, I mean, the yellow, yellow orange is the other one that shows right, up a right. lot, especially in the final um, play, uh, a right, spectacular, right, spectacular, right. spectacular, where it shows up as the as the huge set piece um, for people to get in there. But yeah, I mean, those are your colors that you have to work with. Um, black shows up a lot because mm-hmm. that is the the Duke is black and white, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, he has either he's on or he's off, um, and especially when they do that number of like a virgin. You've got black and dark blue, and that is it. I mean, you don't have – I mean, the Duke is wearing a dark maroon color, Mm -hmm. but it might as well be black Mm -hmm. in that scene. Um, Very gothic, very dark uh, for what that represents. So think about how color can be used to enhance your scene. Now, a lot of people will go in and just say, oh, well, let me just crank the saturation up on everything. And that's not what you want to do, right? If you are trying to tell a more subdued story, you probably don't want the colors – pounding the audience in the head right but if you're trying to tell and you can see this a lot watch um you know when you watch the nfl or you watch any kind of high action sport Mm -hmm. notice that the saturation of the colors are cranked up on that stuff Mm. i mean there's a reason why the grass looks that green and the helmets look orange and blue like they do compare that to one of your csi shows and everything is totally muted and in fact csi is a good example of how they use color yeah. If you look at the CSI the one in Las Vegas, that one's pretty neutral though it tends to go to dark. Mm-hmm. You look at the New York one, everything is blue. blue. If you go down to Miami, it is intense <sighs> yeah, it's like it's everything intense looks colors. like a mango. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so color really can help you set time, place, location, feeling. You can use color to manipulate your audience into thinking very very specific things.
3: Um or, or like in the case of this movie, to actively damage them. Because yeah, man, yeah. does color hit you over the head with this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you, here's how color affects us psychologically as well. If you're trying to lose weight, eat on a blue plate. Because in nature, very few foods are blue. Or those that are blue tend to kill you. So when you put food on a blue plate, you're going to tend to eat less naturally. <laughs> um, for young children, for a long time, I don't know if it's the same way now, but they used to paint bathrooms at you know grade schools kind of like a a Pepto pink because it was a color that relaxes you mm-hmm. and makes you want to go so you can get in, do your business, and get out. So think about color. Do some do some study on on color theory. No, color
3: theory is its, its own. St- its own science and its oh, own yeah. pseudoscience. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and, and maybe the bathroom stuff may be pseudoscience, because like I said, yeah, who I don't knows? see too many
3: uh, pepto bathrooms. And, and that changes frequently, no, not because it's,
1: it's so many disciplines that go into color right. theory. Right, right. Um, so yeah, you might want to do some research on color theory and how color plays a role in in your movie. Um, and certainly go and look, and that's why so much time now is spent on color correction, mm-hmm. color enhancement, giving something a look. When people like say, oh, we're going to give it a look.
2: these orange and green.
1: Yeah, making stuff green if you're inside the matrix and blue if oh, you're. Man. I'm sorry, if you blue inside the matrix, yeah, green.
3: It's blue green inside the matrix and, and blue like, out, like yeah. gray. Yeah, yeah, on the outside, brown. Yeah. Like you were like a burlap sack. It That's what totally the outside of the plays matrix a role. Like.
1: Um, tell us about editing. We've already kind of touched on it yeah. a moment ago.
0: Uh, the editing, I mean, essentially matches uh, what this. I mean, the nature of the Moulin Rouge and that that first, officially that first sequence of all those mashings of songs and really even introduced what the Moulin Rouge is, you are
1: just getting smash cut everywhere. And you know, it doesn't stop there. I mean, that's kind of where it starts with the craziness. Yeah. Or really about the time he enters that part of Paris. Right. Um, But even in just regular conversations, except for the very slow moments, you have... I mean, today they say on average you want to have an edit about every three seconds.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, This one is even in a conversation between two people is cutting back and forth about a second and a half between stuff. I mean,
3: you get like... Half a reaction from someone. Yeah, exactly. It's like you get a word, like a sentence, then a reaction, then like a reaction to the reaction, then like another character who's (laughs) listening in before you go to the next sentence. Right.
1: Right. It's very quick. Mm. And again, we talked about trying to convey that craziness of that time period for modern audiences at one point during the filming of easy writer and that's on the list for later when they're (laughs) editing that they're just like we need to figure out some kinetic way of getting from one scene to the next and so they were really trying to plot out you know how are they going to do this Mm -hmm. edit and then finally the editor's just like okay and just banging on this edit system (laughs) until they really got this crazy popping thing in the the editor's like, that's that's the way we need to do it. And it's just totally random. And at hmm. times when I'm watching this, it seems like, oh, I'm just banging on the keyboard of my nonlinear edit system to see what, yep. what works. Yeah. But really, if you examine a scene, it's all thought out. Oh, yeah? It is all thought out.
0: I think the best edited sequence in Moulin Rouge is uh, when Christian is figuring out uh, what Satine has to do with the Duke, and they do that song from Brazil or whatever. And they're pantomiming out what's happening with Satine and the Duke up in the tower. And Roxanne, yes. Roxanne?
1: that's not from Brazil.
0: That, that's well, I don't dude. know. But he, he says he does that dance from oh, that's oh, in, in
1: Argentina. Argentina, Argentina. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, dude, that's Roxanne. You know, the, that's the, the song by the police. 1977, Zenyatta Mondatta. Are you with me here? No,
1: he's not. Actually, I don't think it's on
2: Zenyatta Mondatta. I I remember
0: now that it's Roxanne. But But yes,
1: that sequence is amazing. It is. And you know what else is? I like a lot of songs in there. I like the Elephant Medley. It's probably my favorite. But if you listen to the um, Tango de Roxanne, I think Mm -hmm. is the title Mm -hmm. of that track, Mm -hmm. it is layered upon layered upon layered, where you, by the end of that song you can hear six different people singing their stuff throughout mm-hmm. the piece. You've got the Argentinian, you've got Christian, you've got yes. the Duke, you have Ziegler and there's somebody else. Uh,
2: I don't, uh, f- I think th- Nini Legs in the Air has some stuff that she's, yeah, singing. there's yeah. like,
1: it's five or six deep in the lyrics that go onto that and you have to really listen to hear it. But yeah. together it's this great, you, you had, you picked a new favorite word this week, cacophony. Yes. It's this yeah. great cacophony of sound mm-hmm. that yeah. works In spite of itself, you know. Now, my Uh
2: question is: does Does anybody know if Obi Wan and Eyes Wide Shut did their own singing? Yes, they did. Okay, because during that that whole Roxanne bit, where he's walking in the rain in the streets and just singing his guts out. I'm just like, oh my God.
1: So there's it's a big so difference when, when we're talking about um, Moulin Rouge and talking about Les Mis. There's a kind of a different approach to the way that they record the singing of that. Yeah. In Les Mis, they actually recorded the singing on set, mm-hmm. right? In Moulin Rouge, everything's pre recorded ahead of time and they're just mm-hmm. playing back and essentially lip syncing. And people will point out that like in the Elephant Medley, that they're off on a couple of spots. Mm
3: -hmm. Especially when the whole cast is on, like somebody's lips will be slightly off. Yeah, yeah.
1: so, you know, as far as doing a musical production, yeah, try to pre-record your music ahead of time, play it back, make sure that it's synced up with the rate of your...
3: Well, and that the actors right. have practiced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Really important. Because that's feel. the thing is, once you have that master recording, the actors have to memorize it, and they have mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. any errors, any breaths, anything like that, they have to match it every time. Right. Yeah. So if you're which, into some which, music videos... Which also then... might sound difficult, but that's what we do with songs anyway. Like, if there's a song that you've listened to a lot, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know where the guitar solo comes in, mm-hmm. right? Even though when you go to see them in concert, they just play it however they want, right. and you're like... that guitar solo was two beats late <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah
1: your brain
0: hurts
3: what, what yep, did exactly. you
1: guys so what you said yours was tango to roxanne was it your favorite scene
0: uh, i don't think it's my favorite scene i think i thought it was the best
1: edited scene okay it, it is very good rodrigo do you have a favorite scene or, or a musical number
3: ah uh, geez my favorite scene in this movie is probably actually the very beginning like the Unconscious Argentinian, mm-hmm. you know, crashing through, uh-huh. and then like all of the wackiness that ensues immediately,
1: right? From including that. the abstinence, or not abstinence? Absinence. No, probably up Absinthe. to that. Like,
3: I, I don't, I, I think, I don't know that scene of them like with like like blankets over their oh, head, yeah, pretending yeah. to be a nun, and yes. kind of yes. stuff like that. Like that really crappy play that they're yes. trying to put together. Right. That's probably my favorite scene.
1: Matthew, what about you?
2: Oh God, I just i i die every time we get to the point where Satine sings and sings and she nearly falls down and christian is almost out of the theater and she sings and then they Mm -hmm. reprise the come what may together yeah Yeah. oh my god that's so beautiful i love that part and then of course you know the world explodes in a giant fireball and everybody dies basically but sadly that that moment where he's almost (laughs) out of the theater yeah and it's a great. He sings it's a great. Piece. His line mm-hmm. and everybody turns and oh my god, I want to be in that theater because that would be a good show.
1: Interestingly, mm-hmm. come what may, is the only original song that is not cobbled together from everything else. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it could not be nominated for an Oscar because it was actually written for Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. and because it was written for another film, it couldn't be considered for an Oscar, which is kind of odd. Because Matthew, I do agree when you bring back up a theme not not through a light motif or anything but when you bring back up that theme song time and time again it really strikes you as an audience member and drives home exactly what's happening
3: also I, also that scene exactly the same scene as the ending <laughs> to singing in the rain right right, right. Kathy like runs out of, is about to run out literally mm-hmm. about to run out of a theater and, and he says stop and, that girl and he stops her just like she stops him mm-hmm. she, like in this one um Ewan Ewan McGregor is the
1: Kathy Selden it, it is very crazy how and you know they're both liars right right, right. there's both a lot of lying going on um, between all the individual pieces yep, a lot pieces. of a lot, mm-hmm. you
3: have this a lot very refined seeming character that is the the mm-hmm. basically the the negative influence of the piece and there's a lot done to try to keep that person happy while the uh, surrounding cast members try to
1: actually accomplish good things singing in the rain right. is a, a movie about making a movie mhm uh, moulin rouge is a movie about making a play yeah mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of similarities but, between these uh, like two. Like you
3: said, both of which are movies that are set at a time period that is significantly back. Obviously, Mulan Rouge is a huge <laughs> yeah. time gap. Yeah, like a mm-hmm. hundred years. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I still think it's that from the moment they have the drink and the Green Fairy appears... <laughs> All the way. I mean, gosh, I think elephant I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to say the elephant love song medley is my favorite. Mm. Oh, yeah. But really everything from the time the green fairy appears till the end of that number is probably my most enjoyable part of the entire film because it just goes right from, you know, a comedy of errors or a right. night at the oh, opera yeah. right into yeah. this beautiful special effect laden song. Mm-hmm. That just you, makes you sit there and go, oh my god! They combine Paul McCartney and you know Kiss, kiss in the same song. <laughs> How awesome is that? And I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to react this way. I think that Baz Luhrmann was trying to get people to react this way. But when I saw this movie for the first time in the theater, I'm laughing throughout this entire piece. Not because I'm thinking it's ridiculous, but I'm just like, oh my god! They are combining this brilliantly together. And pulling these bits and pieces of all these songs and making it work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's that was your reaction the first time, but
3: uh, no. Uh, if to 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 put in my own opinion of this movie, I hate it. Really? I actually, yeah, I actually really do not like Moulin How come? Rouge. How come? Um I think that at its core, the movie asks you to do two things. Mm-hmm. It asks you to reference all the songs that you know, right, and and then strip them of all meaning, sure, so that it fits into this movie. Right, 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 right. I think, actually, my least favorite scene is that medley, is that that love medley, because Mm -hmm. it's like, if you think about it, it doesn't flow all that well as a song, because it's like, why do people sing silly love songs, In the Name of Love, One Man in the Name of Love, then to a Kiss song, then to this other song, right? So it's all this bouncing back and forward, just because it has the word love in the title. And so you're like, oh, I know that song. Why is he singing about Martin Luther King all of a sudden, (laughs) right? I mean, like, the movie... Says here are, here's a bunch of songs that you know, right? Stripped of all meaning, mm-hmm. and now we're going to use them however you want. And that actually, to me, is weirdly offensive. I can It's see like that. when I go to a fireworks display and they play "Fortunate Son" just because some in the in the yeah, song yeah. is some folks are made. To raise the flag, yeah. ooh, the red, white, and blue. Right, right, right. And then proceeds to bash the crap out of the United States. And I'm like, <laughs> this is the 4th of July. Why are you playing this?
1: Yeah, so you do need to be careful with how you use stuff because, and color is the same way. You need to be careful on your choice of color because color has different meaning to different cultures. Right. Mm, yeah. And you can really screw up if you're using the wrong color in the wrong time. So I can I can appreciate that yeah. standpoint. And, and you really, understand why. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to love every film we watch. Oh, no. in no! Right. No no! And, right. I, and, and you we know, I mean,
2: knew you were an enemy of joy. So it's I mean, and funny. I am. <laughs> I I hate
1: fun. You know, the Duke is his the favorite character the, in the. the yes, history. I am. What
3: this? That's all I'm saying is why wouldn't she pick the Maharaja? <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm something, saying.
2: <laughs> something about this movie that I found very difficult is it's full of guys who look like guys. So when I see the Duke, my brain is like. Is is that guy Pierce? He, he and when I, see, when I see I uh, see yeah. the enforcer, I'm like, is that the principal from Back to the Future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm always wrong. And there's there's another <laughs> one in there where I'm like, oh, wait, I always I always looks think like that somebody.
1: I always think if you could roll him back maybe five years, David Spade would have played the Duke, the Duke. type <laughs> character. And I don't yeah, know if David can Spade can that. sing a song or not. But oh, uh, okay. every time I see him, I was there, like, well, David clearly from, from what I've seen
3: of Lamez, that is not necessarily a, something that would stop you because Russell Crowe just did not. Yeah. yeah he was
2: little, oh and he, he was a little it's flat the sometimes. orchestra leader oh, sometimes. i'm like is that is that jim rash from community yeah yeah <laughs> he could throughout be the, it, it might be i don't know but throughout the whole thing i'm looking at things and, and then of course you have that moment where kylie minogue shows up and i'm like okay that's that's clearly kylie minogue yes nice. anybody else but, seeing uh, this uh, originally that's supposed kylie to minogue.
1: originally supposed to be um Ozzy osborne it's nice. the green fairy yeah. the green fairy yeah. Yeah.
2: he's he's actually the voice of the green fairy's laugh yeah, right. Yeah. At the, right they ended
1: up did using him at the end when she turns all evil and you can see her eyes turn red right at right. the right. last part so yeah. then she all turns right. it so on. important questions now Zach number 1 yes man Steven did Whoa. your uh what i know i got to go on a diet uh did your girlfriend ah. watch the movie with you
0: yes she did uh, and she did has she seen think? it before this time i was like hey we should watch this again uh she did fall asleep this time which is not a surprise. Uh she enjoys this movie a lot. And that's all I
1: heard to get out of her. What <laughs> what are you taking away from this movie and how are you applying it?
2: Uh,
0: well obviously I learned a little bit about color theory this week and how that is very uh, uh more important than I even realized coming into this Podcast, uh, so and that, in that color. now you know it exists. Uh, well, I knew the colors signify certain things, but you know you gotta like mm-hmm. actually think about that kind of stuff when you watch a movie. So that was a big takeaway. Um, I mean, editing. I see. I, I think editing every, every week, but I think I learned something new about editing hmm?
3: every yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and I don't think we've seen a film that has a similar editing style.
3: I think that you could no. argue that something like Pi, Pi. has a similar yeah, editing yeah. style. Yeah. And I mean I weirdly I think that actually has a surprisingly similar because the soundtrack to Pi is very important. Mm-hmm. But it's a, a weird blue bloopy soundtrack. Yeah. So when you're cutting to that music, it doesn't give you the same effect as cutting to smells like Teen Spirit. Right, right. But it's the same idea. Mm-hmm.
0: What else? probably should always not sing live on set <laughs>
2: um, well that that depends that's what a, you're well i mean well, it depends what you're doing it's just that's funny. a decision that can be made on a case you know
1: if you're doing cases. a my chemical romance uh video then yeah you could probably have them do it live and just record the live and yeah. have them redo it again and well again, yeah, yeah. again. well but, but you, the thing but, is but you, you can't would,
3: though because you have to tie that yeah. to the the song that's being sold right. yeah
1: right and the other thing is you're not going to get the same energy out of your performers if you're having them sing the same song, over, over. fifty two takes. Yeah. So, yeah, record that song and have them lip sync. That's that's always going to be the best course of it's action. It's definitely always in my be opinion the easiest. In my opinion, now other people might say, "Oh no, no, no! Have them sing on set and it'll be fine." I think. I think, I think of, it depends what yeah, you're.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, parts I
0: think, of it. If Lea Miz worked doing that,
3: it's like it actually that. You can argue that that is like, for example. An absurdly long take, right? Right. So you just yeah. roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. And if something's wrong, you have to go back to the beginning or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, really long takes put you in a particular mindset and a particular position when you're looking at them. But most people don't notice them. For most people, right. you could cut and they wouldn't realize that it wasn't a really long take. It's the same thing with recording on set. If you pull it Mm -hmm. off, most Mm -hmm. people aren't going to know that there was an alternative. But for you as a filmmaker, if you can, cut. And if you can, record sound ahead of time. (laughs) Yeah. All right. uh, How'd he do? I think he did well. I think he uh, went in thinking about it. Um, Honestly, I think... I can't really necessarily gauge all that much because this time I feel that the three of us had a lot to say about this movie and we kind of
2: oh, <laughs> put Zach back. And if,
3: so yeah. I'm going to give him a pass and this is something for the three of us to think about is that we probably need to have a little bit more
1: Zach on, Zach on film. Well, Zach needs to talk more and tell us more about things. I'm really bad at interrupting. Mm-hmm. I'll get better at interrupting. Well, he's a student. He needs to right, listen to right, the right. people that know what yes. they're talking about. Um, Matthew?
2: When, when do they come in? <laughs> at, at some point down the road. We okay. haven't hired them yet. Uh, awesome. Uh, I think he did really well because he's clearly not an enemy of joy. Or freedom. But or beauty. Or, beauty. or, or truth. truth. And life. But I will say this. I think that the the color thing is something that he probably wants to do a little bit of homework on. Because if I know what's coming, and I never know what's coming, that will come up again and again and again. And that's going to be an important framostat in your statifram. I mean, it's going to be the difference between Hitchcock and McGee. So whichever side of that you want to be the side you want to be. I well,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, gosh, Zach, if you if you've not done any color theory stuff. And I know that I've talked. I know I've got one lecture in the advanced video class where we yeah. talk about color theory. And that may be the one day that you missed
0: or obviously. or that it was three years ago. Well, that
3: too. Or or that, um, you know, every professor thinks that their class is the
1: only one you're taking and overloads you with stuff. <laughs> and then you're... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, try to cram the basics of color theory into one lecture. It's hard to yeah, do. Absolutely. So you have to really just touch on on the surface. Yep. But, yeah, I would, I would do... I mean, from every aspect... I mean, so many people say, let's just fix it in post. Right. Let's just... Yeah, let's just give all the color look in post. But if you can think about hey, these curtains behind her need to be deep red, and her hair needs to be red, and her lips need to be red, and she needs to be wearing black so that she stands out among everything, yet it still has this feeling and conveying this feeling of passion and love and life. Mm -hmm. That's something you can't fix in post. You you, can't say, hey, let's just throw a curtain up behind her and let's uh, let's change her clothing. Have
3: you seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm -hmm. Um, That's another one. the The look of that movie was achieved by shooting everything in... Magnificent greens and golds and everything like that. Right. And then they went through once they had all that color information and cut out different channels yeah. to make it look like the brownest, yeah, fall like the brownest autumn that ever was.
1: I was right? watching another video just recently, and they did the exact same thing, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I just they did it so well that you couldn't tell that this was shot in the middle of the right. summer and not at the end right. of fall. And
3: that's and that's the thing is people talk about fixing it in post, but what you need to do is you need to have production and post production working together right. you need to generate as much content and as many options while you're shooting so that then post has that opportunity to not fix it but enhance it enhance
2: it yeah i think you need
1: to do some yeah. more work with some color theory but otherwise okay. otherwise i think you pass great question question yes a couple of weeks ago gave you an assignment for those people who listen to the full episode they know that you were handed a camera and given an assignment. Yes. How are you doing on that assignment? Give us a give us a production update.
0: Um, writing the script because uh you said I had an option of yeah. making my own or right. doing uh, them. Right. I decided to do my own. Okay. To okay. be somewhat try to be original a little bit. Uh, that was interesting because I the process of me writing a script, uh, in a narrative style. Uh, not for like a PSA, right? Not much, uh, practice on that. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And finally deciding on what to do. But I think I have a script that will last and try to figure out how many pages I should write to last. It get within the two to five good, minute time good, minutes.
1: Good convention. One page, of page script, of... properly formatted. One minute of screen time.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I
1: assumed you taught us at one point. So my script, yes. I think, <laughs> is
3: that's, that's <laughs> like, I think it's like three pages. And, that's what
1: you. And on average, for an independent film or television show, one page, a thousand dollars. That's a typical. That's wow. a good rough estimate for a budget. Now, that's not a big major motion picture, <laughs> but if you're trying to estimate, hey, I've got a thirty-page script for a TV show. How much is it going to minimally cost me? That's what it is. So There's stories that's of Star Trek,
3: it's not a sci-fi extravagance. Right, but you know,
1: their story of Star Trek where they bring the script in, and the guy could look at it, kind of hold it in his hands, mm-hmm. and goes, "Yeah, this feels like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, or this feels like sixty-seven thousand dollars." Just because he knew how hmm. thick the script would have to be is how he could estimate that. But typically, one page, one minute. Right. So you so need a like, three to five pages. Yeah, mine's
0: script. about th- mine's about three. Okay. I had a I had a
3: professor who said he like his initial grading for theses was to. Take them and like just roll them down the stairs, and if the papers didn't make it all the way down the stairs, then it would just automatically flunk them because oh they clearly didn't write <laughs> right enough. enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so started storyboarding, uh, figuring out. I I've been shooting with the five uh, D Mark II, right. and figuring out how to shoot with. Uh, a prime lens and only one of them. Yep. So I gave him a for those of you that. who didn't listen,
1: I gave him a fifty millimeter prime and said this is the only lens that you can use. Ooh. So yes. I made it even harder for him. So, but not wow. really.
3: But okay, can, can I can yeah, I help? Go ahead. Okay. So think about what that looks like when you're shooting that. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's that's a a, a problem that you've been given is you can only use this lens, right? Right. Think about, since you get to write this story, think about what that lens looks like and write to that. You When you are given a, an obstacle, you can use that obstacle to enhance your film. You can turn that disadvantage into an advantage. Mm-hmm. Think about what that looks like. Think
1: about what that lens does for you. Apply that to your movie. And hopefully you've been shooting with the camera already, so you kind of know what kind of shots you can get. I, have. I mean, quite honestly, I'll give you a little tip. Don't have opening Expansive wide shot of western Kansas because you're not going to get it with <laughs> yeah. a fifty millimeter <laughs> lens.
2: Wait, you can't do that?
1: Uh 50 millimeter lens is called a normal lens because it replicates oh, what your normal lens. eye sees. Mm-hmm.
2: So how are we gonna get the expansive wide shot? Well throw
3: it in well, work. You can pan. You can pan. Yeah. So which, you can show that expansion through movement.
1: There's lots of ways to do yeah, it. Yeah. And because he's not using a zoom lens. He can't zoom in for a telephoto, which means if he wants to get a close-up, he has to physically move From the camera end. closer or move the camera away. Yes.
0: So shooting my serious conversation, as the project was, should a be fun. Conversation? Yeah. Yes. Serious, yeah. Hello, um, I'm
2: CVS, and this is my conversation. Hello. But yes,
0: just... Uh, you got the storyboarding down? I'm working on my storyboarding. <laughs> uh, yes. I
1: have not Let me give you, before, before you go to the actual shoot let me suggest something. This kind of leads into what we're going to be talking about next week and the director involved. Before you go and shoot, I want you to cut up your storyboard, or at least copy it and cut it up, mm-hmm. scan it in, do whatever you have to do. And I want you to create what's called an animatic, where you literally edit your storyboard to the pace and the feel of what you anticipate this final shot to be. So that if means you have to record a scratch track of a dialogue. Do that so you can see how do these shots line up well together? Do they edit cleanly? Am I missing a shot? Because if you're going through that and going, oh, this doesn't work, I really need to do a cutaway or I need to do something else here, you've got something that you can put on your shot list before you go out. Mm-hmm. Okay, This was not necessarily a technique that uh, Alfred Hitchcock used, but Alfred Hitchcock knew so much about his storyboards that all he had to do was show his storyboard to his camera people, and because of he knew what was going to be on the paper was what they were shooting. Mm. He rarely had to look through his lens as the story goes. Okay. So Alfred Hitchcock next time vertigo for Zach on film.
0: Great. So that will wrap it up this week for the Moulin Rouge episode of Zach on Film. Make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can see the podcast posting there. You can give your comments and thoughts on the Moulin Rouge. And while you're there, make sure to click on the Amazon link on the front of the page and do all of your shopping. Buy Moulin Rouge, buy some Vertigo, uh, buy Cloud Atlas because that was really good. Uh, It won't cost you any extra, but a little bit of that will come back to us so we can keep all of our many, many podcasts that we do up on... Uh, the, the internet and keeping you entertained for whatever your day may bring that's it next week we were going to talk Alfred Hitchcock and Vertigo on Zach on Film